Good morning and welcome. If you're out in the foyer right now, we're going to call on you to pray. So uh, last one in gets to pray today. No, it's good to see everybody. I know we have a lot gone. Uh, we have some announcements I want to share with you. We have several families that are traveling. We want to remember them. It's Everybody's getting the last week or so in before school starts. And so we have some things we want to pray about later in the service. Uh, but if you're coming in, I hope that you have a bulletin. We want to welcome you. If you're here visiting with us, there's a blue card that you can fill out called a guest card. And we'd love to have a record of your visit. On the back of it is a prayer request. So whether you're visiting or a member and here regular, if you have a prayer request, please let us know. And you can either put that in the offering plate, or if it's more personal, hand it to me as you're leaving, uh, or walk back there and ask someone where my office is and place it on my desk. But uh, we'd still love to be able to pray for you and help you through whatever it is you're going through. Uh, we'd love to be able to minister to you. Uh, there are some announcements I do want to share with you before we go forward. One of them is... There's a couple changes in the bulletin this morning, so I'm just going to tell you, hang loose, don't worry, just follow me, and then you'll be all right, because I promise I won't let you do anything I'm not going to do first as we're up here. But on the announcements, if you turn over in your bulletin, you'll see several announcements and upcoming events. I, I need to um, get this out now. Um, I called several of the elders we're going to make a, a, a change in our Sunday school program for a few weeks here, and here's why. Let me explain. I know we gave you time in April, and we're not going to take the whole month of August, but we're going to ask, and I wrote the dates down, August 27th and September 3rd, which is the last Sunday in August and the first Sunday in September, which is Labor Day, we are not going to have Sunday school or evening programs, or anything other than worship. So please eyeball me. Are we going to have worship? Yes, uh, you, no excuse. We are having worship. Now, you might ask why. We're not doing it just to give you a break, but every several years, we try to get all the floors rewaxed and redone. And it's time for that. And we don't know exactly when they're going to show, and if they show up on a Friday night... We don't want to be downstairs moving tables and chairs and messing everything up. So we're just going to give a couple weeks. We ask for your patience, and uh, we'll be right back in it, but we'll get it all done hopefully before the men's group starts on Wednesdays and the youth group are back on Sundays. And the only thing I think it will affect right now, other than the Sunday school and the evening programs, is the food ministry only on the Saturdays that... If they're working and doing the bathrooms, I want to let the food ministry know the building will be closed because we may have to do it. But, but, but here's, here's the good news. I'll go ahead and put a sign in the woods that says where you could go. Um, no, we will have it open. My point is this. If they're in the process of just doing them, obviously we can't use those. Um, so we want to give everything a time to dry and harden the wax and all that. So, but we just don't know exactly the days that they'll be as we try to plan that with the deacons and the things going forward. We're going to try to get everybody on board so that we'll be ready for the fall. So please be patient with us. I know if you're teaching Sunday school and you're planning, I apologize. We weren't sure when to do this, but it just looks like the best time. We'll be hosting Presbytery in September. And so it'd be nice to get all of that done before we start hosting the events. And so please know the last Sunday in August and the first Sunday in September, Labor Day weekend, we'll not be having all the ministries. We will have worship, but we won't have anything else uh, to be a part of. 
Uh, other than that, I'll let you see that we do have upcoming events. I know Rusty said we do have a team of our church for the walk and run. Uh, we'll be posting those on the screens in the foyer and the things. But if you have any questions, please call Rusty or whatever we need. But they put a team together every year to do that. And she's the captain of the team. She was showing off her uniform uh, earlier this morning. So uh, if you want to be a part of that, please contact her uh, to do that. So other than that, I know summer is, is fast ending and many are back in the school, the swing of sports and activities. Uh, those of you who are preparing for the homeschool groups, uh, we do have a, a homeschool co-op that kind of meets here some uh, during the week, during the summer. If you're interested in that at all, uh, they need to get that planned uh, soon. So please let me know or uh, contact the office and we'll get up with you to let you know. But let me begin this morning. We're so glad you're here and uh, able to worship. Let me read from Ian Bounds, again, the meditation that comes when he writes in his study on prayer. He says, genuine, authentic faith must be definite and free of doubt, not simply general in character, not a mere belief in the being, goodness, and power of God, but a faith which believes that the things which he saith shall come to pass. This morning I pray that as we learn through Mark that you'll understand the importance of how Jesus brings those things to pass. But let's take a moment, let me lead us in prayer, and we'll begin a time of worship together. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for the opportunity that you have called us, that we are able, uh, Lord, we just... Pray that you'll open our hearts and minds. Be with our music team as they lead us. Be with our ushers and our greeters. Be with our Sunday school teachers today. Lord, as we just put it all together from our perspective to try to reach out and share the gospel, Lord, we can't do it without your wisdom, without your help, without your Holy Spirit going forward. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just come first, obviously change us, remake us, and mold us ready for the word of God that we might leave this place excited to further the kingdom of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you're able to join me, if you would, please stand for the call to worship. Uh, just follow me. I'll let you know where we're going. But if you'll stand, you'll see in the bottom of your bulletin there the call to worship. It is a responsive reading. And so I'll read the light print if you'll join together with me in the bold print. From Psalm 67, may the people praise you, O God. May all the people praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the people justly. May the people praise you, O God. Keep your hymn book there in front of you, unless you've memorized the Nicene Creed. We're going to share this morning as part of our confession of faith right from the early Nicene Creed, as you know, established there in the fourth century and has been expanded on and adopted throughout the creeds of the early church. But it is there for us to see as we learn about the disciples and the calling of God's children that he has them from even 15, 16, and 1700 years ago establishing the truth that they're unashamed of. And here, we have the Nicene Creed, and so if you'll join with me this morning in confessing our faith together, we'll read together on page 846 the Nicene Creed. And so church, let me ask you about your confession. What is it that you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Not only do we confess our faith, but we find comfort in knowing that as we confess that one true holy God, we know we can also come to him. And one of the reasons we can come to him is he faithfully responds throughout history in answering the prayers of his children according to his will. And so this morning, you'll see that we'll spend some time praying for our congregation. Um, I specifically want to pray this morning for Sarah and Zach. Um, those of you who not, do not know, tonight is their last night serving together with our youth. They took the challenge of leading our youth this summer and uh, took them camping yesterday, which made it all worthwhile, I believe. Um, they proved they had it in them. And so uh, they're going to be here tonight. The youth group is going to have us some time of learning and celebrating together with them. Uh, but I do want to pray. Sarah will be returning uh, back to Clemson where she will finish her senior year doing counseling and wanting to work with children and may go on. Zach will hopefully still be with us, um, but he is also finishing up his last year at Baltimore Seminary. Our, our Metro Baltimore Seminary. So he's going to be praying and searching and hopefully maybe still plugged in and helping us while he's still here. Um, but I know we have many in our church that have been through uh, rehab, some that are going through cancer treatments. We have some that are uh, just returning from traveling. We have many that have been sick. And so, folks, if you've been one of those, we want to pray for you. I know, I'm not sure what it is, but many have caught either a summer cold or flu, but has, has really been hit hard. So, we want to pray for them as well. And so I'm going to take a moment and lead us to the throne of grace. And uh, if you'll sit there with me in just a moment, we'll also pray together the Lord's Prayer. And then I'll ask the ushers if they will, after we pray together, if they'll come forward to take up the offering. But let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning as we pray specifically for your children, we, we pray for Sarah uh, Lord, we just ask that you'll put a hedge of protection around her at school, the, the valuable lessons that not only did she bring to us this summer, but that we hopefully shared with her. With her. 
that she'll take those back and be excited about her last year, that she'll help her form and fashion in her heart and mind what it is you're calling her to do. And you'll open those doors, uh, Lord, whether it's more schooling to provide for counseling and psychology or whether it's a, an opportunity to be involved in ministry. Lord, we just pray that you'll keep her safe, uh, keep her focused on her, her, her ministry and her studies. Lord, we pray for Zach, uh, who's been with us for years, who's been here a part of our music ministry, our children's ministries, and in our youth, and, and Lord, now this summer, helping take lead and uh, planning and preparing. And Lord, we pray specifically for him, Lord, that his, he has continued this summer, even the face of his father in the hospital, and ministering to both, and praying for him, and Lord, trying to figure out your will for their family as well as your will for his life, that, Lord, it, you would make that clear to him, that he would find peace here and able to continue serving and developing the skills he needs for ministry. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you'll put a hedge around him, that as he travels back and forth to school, that as he continues to minister, as he works in the community, that, Lord, you'll keep him safe. Uh, Lord, we pray for protection for both moral purity and spiritual purity in their lives, that you would just watch over them and use them as instruments for your kingdom. Lord, we also pray for the upcoming surgeries in our church. Lord, we pray for the many who have been longing and waiting to find relief from pain or the ability to be mobile again. Lord, we pray for those that are going through rehab. Uh, Lord, that you'll give them the strength to go forward and to continue. We pray for those who are still taking treatments, Lord, that you would give them the stamina, the health to be able to continue taking the treatments. Lord, be with them so they're not lonely. Be with them while they're working through these trials. Be with their spouses and their children as they help support them. Lord, all of this we bring before you, knowing that, Lord, through it all, we don't just ask that you bless our physical needs, but, Lord, we thank you for blessing us financially. Lord, we thank you for giving us jobs, giving us opportunities, providing us a way to minister and further your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'll take the offering this morning and bless it. Give wisdom to our financial team. Help with the deacons as they work through the budget, the session as they vision forward for things to happen. The Lord, we will just surrender not only how we spend the money, but how we collect it and make it so that it can be glorifying to you. And Lord, all of this, we carry the load not by ourselves, but because of your son, Jesus Christ, who brings us to the holy place, that inner sanctum in your presence, where we can pray together as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, I'll ask if our ushers will come forward and help take up our offering.
As we prepare our heart for the message, just pray this together with me as we ask him to cleanse us from our sins. Almighty God, you have poured out on us your spirit and with him endless grace. Please, Lord, deliver us from our sins as we draw near to you. Forgive us from coldness of heart. We confess our minds wander to sinful thoughts. We confess our affections need rekindling so that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Forgive us these sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And again, Psalm 37 reminds us, as so many places in Scripture does, the Lord delights in the way of the one whose steps he has made firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his mighty hand. What a blessing we have as one who not only upholds us but takes our sins, cleanses us, and prepares us. What a man he is. Again, I pray that you brought your Bibles with you to follow along so that as we're studying through Mark, you have opportunity uh, to make notes and to be challenged and to remember to go back and keep up with things. We're in the third chapter of Mark where we are now learning what it means when we have the man of sorrows who has covered our sins. What is it like now that he calls us in? This morning we're looking at a section of scripture where just after he has again performed miracles and upset the community of religious leaders, he moves, Mark does very quickly, to calling those people to serve him. It would almost be like a war. I hate to say this, but um, when war begins to break out, it's one thing if you're in the military and you enlist in the military during the time of peace. Nothing's been going on. Military's there waiting and ready. If you want to come, you come. We'll train you. And then all of a sudden, something breaks out in the world and war begins to rage. And then the country says, well, now are you ready to sign up? Now who's ready? Because now I don't want you to just come and join and train. I want you to come and what? I want you to fight. Now I'm looking for the soldiers, the men and women who are ready to put their lives on the line, and it may mean leaving your family for good. I want the soldiers who are going to go out in the front and fight the war that they may never see the consequences of. I want those who are giving their lives. Now, it doesn't just happen in the times of war. Folks, we have people all over the country in many ways who are upholding things so that you have the wonderful family values you have now. But Jesus just healed some people on the Sabbath. The religious authorities are upset. They've gathered together with the Herodians, which are the political leaders of Herod, and they are now pursuing Jesus. And at this point, Mark says to him, now Jesus is going to call his followers to take the stand. He didn't just call them when the times were easy, nothing ahead. Hey, look, why don't you just come and follow me? Don't worry, there's no problems. I don't see anything in the foreseeable future that's going to cause you any harm. I don't see how your life needs to change much at all. No, in the midst of the beginning of the persecution and the way of the cross, Jesus, now I'm going to call you to myself. Here's where it says, chapter 3, verse 7. 
right after all this persecution that begins with the religious leaders, verse 7 says, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a large multitude from Galilee followed. Also from Judea, also from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, that's a term we don't get in the New Testament, and beyond Jordan into the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, and a great number of the people heard about everything that he was doing, and they came to him. And he told his disciples, See that a boat would be ready for him because of the masses, so that they would not crowd him. For he had healed many, and with the result that all those who had diseases pushed in around him in order to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And he strongly warned them not to reveal who he was. And he went up on the mountain and he summoned those whom he himself wanted. I want you to circle that. Jesus calls to himself those he wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12. I want you to highlight that word. And he made them the 12. I'll explain in a minute. So that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. That's the same word Jesus used in the beginning of what he does. And to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed or he made the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And he gave to them the name, again, that only Mark uses, the Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. And Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And it stops. The story was about they're going to come and get Jesus, and now Jesus wants you to be with him. This isn't the time to duck and run. This isn't the time to wrestle with it. I want to go over you. What does it mean when Jesus chooses you? What happens in life when you're at a point where you're just not ready and Jesus is? Are you willing to make the changes? I hate to say this, but if Jesus is really calling you, you will. I'll express that a little bit later when you understand the words that are actually used, this microcosm of how God actually brings people to himself throughout his whole kingdom and what he does to them. But I want you to understand this morning, and you can write them down in any order you want to, then when it comes to being called by Jesus, it involves a relationship with many aspects. It's a relationship that is a loving relationship. It's one that begins by choice. You don't serve Jesus because you hate him or because Jesus hates you. He begins to change you. It's a loving relationship. It's not only that, it's a relationship that involves learning. You don't join the military I remember the first time as a chaplain candidate, they took us to Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, and down to Fort Dix, and we were going to go through the gas chambers, for those of you who've done that. And my first response, thinking I was smarter than everybody there, was, why in the world do chaplains have to go through the gas chamber? We're not soldiers that are going to be fighting. And I remember one of the Sergeant Park, when he was out there in the field, took a canister pulled the pop, and he says, you may not be fighting, but you will be running, <laughs> and he threw it. <laughs> and everybody out there that knew the drill 
grab their face mask, which is supposed to be on your side at all times, and they ripped it open, pulled it apart, had it on, and just stood there and had a good time. You know what I did? I cried. I cried. Because when that gas got to me, no matter how fast I ran, I didn't know where my mask was. I didn't know who I left it with. I was just there to pass out candy and bubble gum and to love the soldiers. But I realized I needed to know the importance of what the gas would do. Crawling through the infiltration course. It may not be because I need to find my weapon. It may be because I need to lay beside the one who's about to give up. I mean, would you be willing to lie there with them in hopes that they would make it? See, begin to think about what it means to serve, what it's actually asked. The relationship that Jesus calls you to isn't just one that's based on love and based on learning. It's also a relationship that's based on leading. Where would we be today if all of our soldiers spent their entire life never leading? Where would the church be if we didn't have people willing to be deacons, elders, ministry leaders, team leaders. Life is not just about letting others do it. He gifts us. It's a relationship of leadership. It's also a relationship that lasts. It's a lasting relationship. So this morning, I want to take you on that journey. You write them in where you want to. It begins in verse 7 and 8 as he begins. They went upon this uh, place. Jesus withdrew. Now, I'm not going to bore you this morning too much, but mark that word withdrew to the sea because that's a special word, anachorine, which is a word that actually means tactical withdrawal. That's why I'm giving you military. You didn't just withdraw to some place. If all of a sudden something was coming in, and I'm going back to my experience. Yours could be different. I'm sure much more modern, but back when I was there, that was the drill. Something would come landing at your feet, and you knew you'd better withdraw. You'd better get out but you didn't just run a few feet and stop. The drill was look for something to get behind, drop down, roll, hide, cover up, because when it goes off, it's going to go. At night made it even harder because I was a chicken. And when they threw something at my feet this time, it wasn't very close at all. It was out away from the area, but it was just a really bright light. That's all it was. A couple guys thought they would be heroes, yelled, grenades, some were bombs. We didn't know. We were chaplains, folks, out in the middle of Fort Dix in Fort Monmouth. All it was was a light. So I closed my eyes and hid, which was the opposite of what I was trained to do. For those of you who know the drill, you shouldn't close both eyes. Why? Because when you open them again, you can't see you got to have one to see. I mean, you, you don't keep them open if they're blinding. You have one to close, and then you can see, and you keep rotating so that you're always able to see what's going on and one to be able to see. Man, I was learning what it meant to truly be a part of the military. I mean, I was told I would never carry a weapon. I said, well, how am I going to survive? And he pointed to my chaplain assistant with his M16 at the time. And he said, wherever you go, he goes. And I thought, wow, that's me, a follower of Jesus Christ. Wherever he goes, what? I go. He's the one leading this thing. 
man, those chaplains, it wasn't about the gun. It wasn't about the weapon. It wasn't about the injury. It wasn't about the victory. He was about letting people realize that you're here to serve a faithful cause if it means giving your life. And you do it for the benefit of others. Unselfish commitment. Jesus calls these disciples and he simply says to them, the word phlebine, therefore the word that is crowding them out. He, he tactically withdrew to a place. And I love how this works out when we begin this relationship because he's now being crowded. It's a word that's better interpreted throughout the New Testament as they were pressing or crushing him or mobbing him. They just wanted to get close enough to touch him. If I could put it in today's terminology, it would be like going to a, a concert of one of your favorite artists. Everybody pushing and shoving. There's no such thing as seats out there. You know that. You go to a concert, and within five minutes, everybody's standing, pushing, crowding, pushing over this. All they want to do is get to that singer so they can what? Touch him. And that's the impression. And Jesus is amazing because he begins to get this overwhelming desire of all these people, not because they wanted to hear the message, but like so many other things, they just wanted to be healed. They wanted their lives to be changed. They wanted it to benefit them. Sometimes we realize in this push for this message of following Jesus, how many of you, when you pray, pray more for sickness, health, infirmities, ailments, cancers, we spend most of our time praying for the physical part of someone's life. No different than these that were crowding around Jesus. They weren't there because their soul was going to be changed. They weren't there because their spirit was going to be enlightened. They were going to be enlightened to a whole new life, to an eternity that was existing for them. They were there because it was about their own physical ailments and they could live a better life if they could just be touched. You know, Matthew reminds us in so many ways that where your heart is, if I can put it that way, is where your treasure is. Or more importantly, where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And if your prayer is so involved in just praying for the physical and not the spiritual, then where's your heart? Are we more concerned about how long we live or who we live for? Does our prayer get consumed on the spiritual needs of those around us or just their physical? All of a sudden we realize this is the setting of the story. It's all put in together here because all of a sudden we realize how important it is when these crowds are gathering together they're, they're coming for their physical health. They're coming to get their own physical attention or their needs met. But the spiritual is what Jesus is after. One in America, we shared one time before, it's amazing that every time a survey is done in the last 25 years, do you know what one of the least paid occupations in America is? <laughs> you want me to do the moonwalk and do all kinds of fancy stuff? We have to entertain people. We have to get before people. Yes, things have changed, but isn't it amazing? One of the least paid, interested positions that the government wants nothing to do with 
is those of ministry to the spiritual needs of people. Do you know what one of the highest paid is? Come on. You'll all say it. Go ahead and say it. What is it? Doctors. The physicals. Isn't it amazing? Our country has determined the same truth. It's no secret. When we put our money where our mouth is, when we put our treasure where our heart is, or put our heart where our treasure is, we put everything to the physical because that's what's so important to us. And if we have to shrug off the spiritual, well, that's not my point. My point is your pastor wants a lot of money. (laughs) Not true. It's my wife that wants the money, not me, (laughs) so that I can have the, no. (laughs) Yeah. You want to pray for some physical (laughs) protection at this point? No, but it's our, our country does the same thing. We're, we, we portray it in our lives every day. There is something about this life that we cherish. We live in it. We adore it and we want it. But yet God wants us to do something different, to experience something greater, a peace that passes all understanding, a wealth that never goes away, a relationship that lasts forever. And yet we're constantly thinking we'll find that in the here and now. And then all of a sudden we realize the story says this. He goes along ready there and all the stuff that's going around, they're wanting to touch him. And everywhere he went, the people, the spirits were falling down before him. Catch this, what he's telling us. In a nutshell, he would say this, where is your treasure right now? And he brings us right back before the demons, and he simply says, isn't it funny that it's the demons that are falling down before Jesus, not the people? Once again, he reminds us that the people who understand spiritual warfare and the true ending are falling before Jesus. Oh, the crowds may fall toward him, if you wish, but the demons are falling before him. They realize there's one greatest importance, and their life is coming to an end. Their spiritual life is dictated, I like the word, prospispatine, it's the Greek word that is used there. It actually tells when they fall down, it's always in reference to an inferior acknowledging a superior. If I were to keep my military analogy, we don't fall down before the superior, we what? Salute them, recognize them, acknowledge them. And I was always told, don't you dare wait for the superior to acknowledge you. And I never did. I just be honest, I don't know what happened if I did. Because we were taught from day one, recognize the sign. We used to have them on our hats back when I was there. And they were on your shoulders. And they would say, learn to see what it is. And if someone is coming with you and they are superior to you, they outrank you, you step to the side, you be courteous, and you put it up there until they tell you to put it down. In other words, acknowledge where you stand when you're amidst a greater authority. How many of you acknowledge the greater authority in your life? And rather than falling down the inferior to the superior, rather than proclaiming his name and calling out he's the son of God, we push him to the side because we're so busy. We have things on our mind. 
we're not ready for that right now. And what can he do to me anyway? All of a sudden, Mark turns us to this story so fast because the demons were reminded very quickly, we might as well fall now. We might as well call on the Son of God because if they didn't now, you know when they would? At the point in time when we're all told that not just the demons, but every knee will what? And every tongue will what? The Jesus Christ is Lord. He is superior. There is none like him. You will never be like him. You will never be equal to him. You will spend eternity with him, beside him, glorifying the Father of all time and all eternity. But don't you dare count yourself equal to the Son of Man. You are not as he is. It ought to be acknowledged every day of your life. And Mark says, how do we do that? Well, listen to this. He did it as he called disciples to himself. The disciple, both in Greek and Hebrew, is the word that means, if you wish, a learner, one who follows, one who is a learner of another. It always depicts with it this idea of an active fellowship. We've said this before. True mathetes in the New Testament is like apprenticeship. You can't learn without being around the one you're learning from. Now, folks, I hate to say it. The Internet is a great technology but it's not the same. You can get a lot of information, but it's not the same as being in the presence of the one who actually is showing you how to do it. If you think that's true, gentlemen, I'll challenge you right now, stop spending time with your children and your spouse and just zoom into them or message them every time you want to spend time with them. And see if it's the same. You can't take away the presence. We do Bible studies. And I say this gently, folks. We hope we've moved on. And there's a lot of technology that helps us today. But technology doesn't replace the presence of the church. It doesn't replace the presence of pray. It doesn't replace the presence of touch. We need Bible studies where people can hug. Bible studies where people can touch. Bible studies where people can find love in skin. Oh, it's easy to do it online. It's easy to share your thoughts. But Jesus asks for your presence. He calls them. Listen to what he says. As he went upon this mountain, he has appointed them. That is not what is really happening here. This inner circle of disciples that he's pulling together to himself, he's the one that's summoning them. He's actually making them, if you wish, to put that together. This, this calling together, this wanting to be apart all the time. It's the word actually translated there, not for appointed. It's the word epoesan, which is the word for making or doing. It's a very important term as we'll get to it. But right now, it's the Greek phrase is actually this. He didn't appoint them. He summoned them to himself. That changes the whole imagery of military now from you signing up to you being drafted. That's the truth of what happens when you get saved. Jesus doesn't come to you and knock on your heart's door and fall down before you, acknowledge your wonderful leadership, and beg and plead that you would allow him to come into your life so that you could bless him with your presence and lead him along and help him in his kingdom work. 
That is not how it works. He sends his Holy Spirit to summon you. He calls you to himself. He begins to change your heart's desires. He begins to change you into something else. And that is why it is the Greek word epoeson, is the word to make or create. It's the same word that is used in the Septuagint back in Genesis when God created the world and brought it into being. He didn't appoint people. Some have tried to say that, that God didn't create a new man. He just kind of appointed from the existence of animals and creatures that were there. And so he brought into something himself and appointed them to be what he wanted. That's not true. The word is to make or create. He made or created the 12. He made them into something. He did it with a purpose, a desire. You see, Jesus determines the call, not you. He has a plan for you when he calls you, and he's going to mold and make you. And this is where my analogy falls short, and I apologize, but you don't go into the military and tell the military all the things you're going to do for them. Oh, you might be able to pick your area, try your new MOS or your field of service or whatever they're using today, but the truth of it is when you get into the military, you belong to who? The military. And isn't it amazing that when you come to Jesus, you now belong to who? Jesus. He determines what you do. He determines what he makes you. He determines where he wants to send you. He determines how he's going to use you. All of a sudden, this whole discipleship about loving and learning turns into this aspect of being called to do nothing because the only thing or to do something other than nothing because what matters in all of this is that Jesus supersedes their wills. He summons them with the intent to follow. He changes their heart's desires. It's the microcosm of all of Christianity. The only thing common in the group of the 12 is that they are sinners and that they were called by God. And without that call, nothing holds them together. Do you see that? What holds us as a church? What holds us as a body? We all come from different backgrounds. We all come from sinners. We've all been brought into the place that Jesus has put us. And the only thing holding us together is that call. Not your abilities not your talents and gifts, because he's given that to all of us. What matters is the call. So let me ask you this. Do you belong to Jesus? Has he called you? To understand how that works, again, epoiesin is the word to make. He doesn't appoint us, but he creates this new identity. It's a whole new creation. He gathers these together. It's almost like saying, look how the church works. Look how the apostleship works. Look how all of life works. God molds us, makes us, blends us together. One of the elders always asks in our meetings as you join the church, you've probably heard it, why are you choosing this church? Why this one? It's not much of a theological question. If you're wanting to join our church, we do examine you. It's about 150 questions. And the last one just simply says, do you love your pastor? And if, that, if, you, if you answer yes to that, it carries all else, doesn't matter. 
It's, it's one of those tests where it says the very beginning, skip to the bottom. And most people just keep going and going and going. And when they get there, they realize, no, we have an exam. And the exam simply says it's about your testimony. And then we ask normal questions. And I know it's always coming because he tells me it's going to come. He says, I'd just like to know why they want to come here. And what he's looking for is for someone to just say, I think this is the place God's called me to be. Because if God has called you here, why would any of us have the right to say no? We've all been brought here by the same call. Has God called you? Are you serving where it is that God's called you? It comes from the word church, as you know, ecclesia is the word that is used for all of us brought together. It's actually made up of two words, the word from ek, which means out of or from, and the word lesia, if you wish. It's the two words bound together, which is to be called out from, kaleo. So when you put ek with kaleo, you get ecclesia, and what we have as Christians are known as the called out ones. That's our name by definition. We're the called out ones. The only thing that separates us from the world is they haven't been called out yet. We're no better than them. We don't deserve anything more than them. We don't come from a different breed, made from a different stock, don't understand the way things should be. The only difference is we're the called out ones. Jesus loves me. He chose me. And then all of a sudden we realize that when we belong to him, it's about following him and learning with him and being obedient to him. Is that where you are? Or are you still in that call part? So it's a challenge to all of us I love how one of the writers put it, we have to know who we are before what we do. We've said it this way so many times, sometimes we want to get people busy before we ever get them blessed. We just assume that if people will join the church and get involved in the church, well, then they'll just love Jesus as an outcome, and that's not how it works. The relationship with Jesus is first. And then the love relationship with Jesus is what leads to the service of what he's called you to do. He wants you to be with him before he asks you to do anything for him. How many of you are so busy right now you're not spending any time with him? This past week, how many of you read the scriptures that didn't have to do with your weekly Bible study? How many of you read scriptures that didn't go along with the men's Bible study book? The Tuesday night women's class? Or in preparation for sermons? How many of us only do the things we need to do and we only spend time with Jesus to accomplish the things we want to do? When do we just spend time with him? Spend time with him. All of a sudden, the disciples, apostles now, they call them apostello. It's the actual the verb word that is used there, apostelline, is the word that we have when you are sent out. 
What people don't realize is so many times in the references of the New Testament, it's actually to be sent out with a special purpose. You're not just being sent out. Jesus didn't say, now that you've been trained, go do what you want to do. He sent them with a purpose. I'm not here to belabor that purpose, but folks, he said, go ye into all the world. And as you're baptizing them, witnessing to them, discipling them, all these things that go along in life, what he's really saying to you is, I had a purpose for you to go. How many of you have that purpose today? Folks, the call, what Mark is doing is he's putting it all together quickly. He's not going to wait till the end of the gospel to say, look, Jesus died for you. Do you want to serve him? He's simply saying this. Look, Jesus calls you to himself, and the minute he calls you to himself, he's preparing you to go do what he's asked you to do. And you can't do what he wants you to do if you're not close to him. You're going to have to learn from him what he wants you to do. And how do we know that? Listen to what the text says is when they sent them out, he sent them to preach, kerusan, which is the same word back in chapter 1 that only Jesus uses. He wants you to do what he's doing in spreading the gospel, and he wants you to cast out the demons, those who need healing. Do you not grasp what he's saying to the disciples? I want you to go and do the things I've been doing. I want you to continue doing what I've started. I want you to do what it is God has sent me to do. I want you to fulfill the calling of why I've called you here. He didn't call us to be Christians. He didn't call us to be disciples. He didn't name us as apostles so that we could go do the things we wanted to do. Oh, I got a good idea. I know how the church could grow. Oh, I got a better idea. I got programs that could be a lot more fun. Oh, I know how we could reach people. I saw this one place do this, and I... I remember telling you the story of the first time someone dropped for their young adults in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they rented a helicopter and dropped eggs with money in them. One of the largest gatherings in Charlotte, North Carolina. Wasn't that a wonderful church event? How many of you want me to give you eggs with money in it? Oh, come on, be honest. Yeah. See, I could bring you in. I could stand up and breathe fire. I, we could entertain. We could put a whole crew up here. We could start concerts. We could do all kinds of things just to reach out and do the things we want to do. But are you preaching the gospel? Are you helping people where they're hurting? That's what Jesus asked you to do. Go down your checklist well, I do my Bible study, and I do my meetings, and I have my group times, and I, I do pray for my neighbors, and I do pray for those that are hurting, and I, I haven't done. Where are you preaching the gospel? Where are you witnessing? And where are you helping the hurting? Those with withered hands, those with hungry bellies, and those with hurting hearts, and those who are coming because they need something done. That's what he's called us to do. Disciples wasn't just about who these 12 guys are. It's about the gospel message. Let me ask you if you've shared the gospel message. How many of you have shared the gospel message? You're afraid I'm going to call on you and say, well, share it. Then. Let me hear it. Let me hear what you'd say. The truth of it is, if I asked you again, did you share the gospel message or did you share your testimony? They're both great. But a testimony many times turns into what's gone on in your life. The gospel message is not how you feel about things. It's sharing about Jesus' life and what he did, not where you've been and what you're doing. 
Jesus has asked you to share about him. About him. He's the one that called you. You don't call others to the kingdom. You help others turn to Jesus who calls them to the kingdom. And these people that are called together, write this down, keep it in your mind, do what you want, because it's not this subjective experience that you have. It's about the activity of God. And when we talk about these 12 apostles, it comes down to what we said, a, a vital, deepened relationship of leadership. Apostleship has three dimensions, probably many things more. I'll give them to you quickly. I'll move on. But it's first, it's relational. If you're going to be an apostle, you've got to be with Jesus. It's relational. This morning, I ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? It's also verbal. It's not just that you're being with Jesus, but that you're speaking of Jesus, is that your thought process? Is that what you're thinking about all the time? Do you go see your neighbor because you just need mulch or you're gonna go ask for mulch so that you get a time to talk about Jesus? Hmm. And lastly, it's behavioral. It's what you're doing for Jesus. Are you his hands and feet? Because what you've done unto the least of them You've done it unto him. Yes, it's relational, it's verbal, and it's behavioral. But let me quickly just say this as they gather the 12 together. The existence of the church is indebted to so many who aren't even mentioned. How many of you know who the 12 disciples are? The apostles. How many of you could name all 12 of them? Where are my kids? I know they know it. Because I know you've sung, there are 12 disciples, Jesus called to help him, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, you want me to keep going? Yeah. You learn it in songs. We gathered, we know 12, and we would even say, well, we know that he sent out 70. But what about the millions and millions of hardworking, faithful, relational people that kept the church on the right track? Hebrews only lists a few of those in the book of faith. It might not be that you're listed amongst those heroes, and it might not be that your picture ends up on the church walls along with some of the historical presidents of our seminaries or the leaders of our denominations or those who are assistants to the presidents or in high positions of our nation. Your main name may never be known to the public like that, but I'll tell you where your name matters most. Do you know where that is? written in the Lamb's book of life. Because if it's not written there, it doesn't matter how else the people know you. To be a follower of Christ, think about this. Acts chapter 17 even tells us that they were mad at the disciples of Jesus. Do you know why? Because they were turning the world upside down. <laughs> these aggravated, crazy Christian followers of Jesus, they're causing havoc. They're so close to this guy, they do whatever he asks. It's almost as if they worship this guy. It's almost as if whatever he wants done, they're going to do, even if it means their life. How do we get rid of that? He took a guy like Simon, Changed him to a Peter. 
He didn't choose Peter because he was a rock. He chose Simon and made him a what? That's what it means to that word epoiesan. He makes us things. He takes you in the lackadaisical, lazy sinfulness that you are, and he creates you into a rock-steady, wonder-building kingdom of God person. He takes you and makes you what he wants you to be, just like Simon Peter. He takes James and John, the sons of thunder, because of their temperaments. How many of you are bonerges? How many of you know somebody else who is bonerges? Got bad tempers, get angry easy, flip off the top, lose their handle, whatever it is you use. That was James and John. They even argued over who was going to be the what? The best in the kingdom. I'd be happy just to get in. And yet, he chooses them, and they become part of the inner circle. I'll tell you what amazes me most the Bible glosses over about seven of the 12, and we hardly ever hear of them again. And they were chosen the same way the others were. Behind the scene, faithfully following, doing what God's called them to do. And they weren't doing it for the glory of man. And finally, let me tell you this, because it might just be you. He calls Judas the betrayer. How could an almighty son of man call somebody knowing that they're going to do what they did? Well, maybe that's again why we use the word epoyeson. Because it's the same word we used with God when he created, created Adam and Eve. And they too were deceived by Satan. So if God can make them and they can be deceived by Satan, why can't Jesus call them and they be deceived by Satan? And why can't you be called? And oh, be careful that you don't get deceived by who? Satan. Oh, I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. What I'm saying is you better make sure you've been called. Because just because you're in church, just because you're with, you must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We learn of all of these people that Judas just reminds us that none of us go untarnished. And none of us create a society that's utopian. More yet, one of the writers said this. If I remembered who it was, I would tell you, but I just remember, and I read it, and he said this, Judas reminds us not of the mediator's impotence, but of all the traitor's impenitence. What Judas reminds us is that all of us need to repent. Be watchful and follow Jesus. Oh, he brings us from all kinds of backgrounds and we're all sinners. He unites us into one family that he makes, creates, and holds together. And he does it with his unfailing love and compassion. 
And in John chapter 17, Jesus says, Father, as you sent me into this world, so I have sent them. If you've been called, then you've also been sent. Sent to serve the living Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling me, for sending your son Jesus Christ to die for me that he would change my heart, that he would make me walk, that he would establish within me a truth. He would give me your Holy Spirit. Lord, more than anything else, it's you working through me. Help me to be close to you. Lord, help me to not just be busy, but to be blessed. Father, I pray for anyone here who's wrestling with what it is you're calling them to do, that they would first wrestle with them calling you to you, that you would bring them in and make it personal. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You would receive the benediction this morning. May the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And all God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's Day.